Hello, great men and women. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Men in History. So hello everyone, I'm your host, Zach DiBacco, and today we will be covering one of those greats that most everyone has heard of. Actually, some of my listeners may have been alive at the same time as this one. It's the Prince of Purges, the Man of Steel whose Russian name I won't even attempt to say, it's Joseph Stalin. Now in my research, and in every podcast or show I've ever watched on Stalin, there has always been reference to one singular quote, its purpose to define the ruthless character of Joseph Stalin, totalitarian dictator of the Soviet Union. The quote, the death of one man is a tragedy, the death of millions is a statistic. Now aside from the fact that Stalin didn't even say the damn thing, I don't know that it is the most telling, and yeah, I do have a real problem with using a misattributed quote to define a man. Also, I like to break away from the norm in any way that I can, so what other Stalin quotes might sum up this man's character and rule? Well, here is one that I think sums it up pretty nicely. Ideas are far more powerful than guns. We won't let our people have guns, so why should we let them have ideas? You see, Stalin's Russia was built on smoke and mirrors. If the smoke was fear, in the mirrors, mass killings. Stalinist Russia, or the USSR, was not a free place. People could not speak their minds or have their own ideas. There was but one idea. Stalin. The idea of Stalin in itself was a lie built by an unrivaled propaganda machine and an idealized cult of personality, but I digress. Now remember, it is never my intention to sit here and tell you about young Stalin or teenage Stalin or really even Stalin's rise to power. Instead, I aim to look at the man's greatest actions that will allow us to determine whether or not he truly was great. I mean, the fact that he grew up in a shithole in Georgia, the country, Jesus, Stalin was not an American, that detail doesn't really matter to me. I don't really care that he had a rough upbringing, I'll save that for Tuesday on a twist of sight. But I do care about the man who once said, the devil's on my side. He's a good communist. The man who came to head up the communist party in Russian state in the 1920s. To do that, I'm going to look at the good and the bad simultaneously in three phases of Stalin's life and career to determine his greatness, if any. And just to be clear, this one is a real piece of shit, unlike the drink I'm having today. So today I am cliche drinking Russian vodka, specifically Stolies. I honestly haven't had Stolies in nearly 10 years, and I really didn't want to drink it straight because it isn't that good. So I went with a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. And to spice it up, I added a little bit of cherry juice to give it a red commie flair. I'm calling it a commutini. So sit down and have a drink with today's great man in history. It's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great men that made history come to be. Okay, so this one is a real piece of shit. I'm not going to go into Stalin's shitty upbringing in gory Georgia, we will save that for a twist of psych, but I will take a moment to remind all my listeners that Georgia is not just a state in the USA, it is also a country just to the south of Russia, that has at various points in its history been either part of or closely tied to Russia or the USSR. Nor will I be sitting here telling you the same tale that you can hear just about anywhere. Our goal is to compare the successes and failures, good and bad alike, within the lives of history's greats and determine if their accomplishments outweighed their catastrophes. I also don't see the point in discussing his rise to power, as interesting as it may be, as it can be dumbed down to one simple factor. He silenced those who opposed him. And yes, I mean he killed them. The lucky ones were simply silenced, but murder, propaganda, imprisonment, pseudo-slavery, and conspiracy fed Stalin's rise. 
Stalin's rise was one of deception, lies, murder, and, in the end, triumph. The dictators of the Soviet Union and even Russia today seem to do a nice job of keeping up the front of some sort of electoral system. As Stalin once said, I consider it completely unimportant who in the party will vote or how. But what is extraordinarily important is who counts the votes and how. Stalin didn't care if his people wanted him, they had him and he wasn't going anywhere. Stalin was willing to do whatever it took to seize and maintain power in the vacuum caused by Lenin's death. And he did it. But that doesn't make him great. Using shitty tactics to seize power is no epic feat. But what he did to modernize Russia while in power was not only impressive, it was catastrophic. You see, Stalin aimed to modernize and industrialize Russia as areas like Britain and the United States had in the 1800s realizing correctly that the USSR was falling severely behind. He would do this through a series of five-year plans. In 1931, he remarked, We are 50 or 100 years behind the advanced countries. We must make good this distance in 10 years. Either we do it, or they will crush us. Well, he did it. But were these plans truly successful? And if so, at what cost? In the first five-year plan, starting in the late 1920s, Stalin took measures to root out privatized farming through a process known as collectivization. This essentially stripped any landowning farmers of their property and forced an entire social class, the Kulaks, who were established under Lenin, into extinction by death or by being sent to the gulags. Collectivization, or collective farming, was meant to increase production on an industrial scale, but Stalin underestimated the resistance farmers would have towards it. Not only that, he continued to ship massive amounts of grain stores out of the country to pay for his industrialization programs. By 1932, this, along with underproduction and drought, caused a massive famine that led to the death of 5 to 10 million people in Russia's rural areas like the Ukraine. It is impossible to know exactly how many people died as a result of the first five-year plan, which was only one of many, as famine, imprisonment, labor, and murder plagued the Soviet Union in the 1930s. But unsurprisingly, Stalin declared the first five-year plan a massive success. If we move away from the devastation and death for a quick, somewhat immoral second, we may find some interesting answers to that question. But can we trust the information? It's Stalinist Russia, so who the hell knows? Either way, under Stalin's first five-year plan, oil production doubled, steel production increased by more than two million tons per year, and the country urbanized and areas like Moscow boomed. A massive railroad endeavor was completed in record time, and for those not directly plagued by the five-year plan, it would have appeared that they were an epic success. They weren't. That's all bullshit. Countless of millions of people died so that Stalin's Soviet Union could boast that they were the second or third greatest industrial power in the world, second only to places like the United States. Plus, these successes wouldn't matter very much, as things were about to get really bad for Uncle Joe. But in 1934, Stalin found himself re-elected to power and even more aware of his political critics. Remember, he once remarked, I don't care who votes or how, all that matters is who counts the votes. That leads me to believe that Stalin and his cult of personality still had to win re-election using some really shady and shitty tactics. But following the quote-unquote success of the first five-year plan, Stalin had built a new Russia, killed millions, and made enemies. This election revealed who they were, so Stalin got rid of them. Nearly two million political rivals or, quote, enemies of the state would be tried and executed or sent to the gulags to work and eventually die, or just plain killed during Stalin's reign of terror, sometimes called the Great Terror. It is impossible, again, to know exactly how many people died in these early Stalin years, but the Russian people were unaware that things were about to take an even more devastating turn. 
A beautiful quote to sum up this point, true conformity is possible only in the cemetery. Stalin didn't want his people to conform or support him, well maybe he did, but in the end he didn't care if they did or didn't. He didn't need them to follow or support his will, he would simply bend them to it or break them. But Stalin was not unmatched in the world, as after all it was springtime for Hitler. Let's turn for a moment to the margins of Stalin's story in this week's Woman of the Margins. Now, we could easily have discussed the three women closest to Stalin in his life, his mother, his first wife, and his second wife, whom he probably killed. But for me, that wasn't good enough, and is a better fit for Tuesday's A Twist of Psych. Plus, I wanted to find someone a little darker, a female Stalin, if I may, and boy, did I find her. Now, on to our true woman of the moment, Rosalia Zemlechka, 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 Rosalia Zemlechka. And like the man of the hour, she's Russian, communist, totalitarian, and kind of a dick. For the sake of my sanity and yours, I will not be referring to our case study by her last name anymore, but instead, just Rosalia. Eh, hell, let's go with Rosie. So, the backdrop of Rosie's story is similar to that of Stalin's, save a few minor details. Namely, she was Jewish, from Belarus, and well, she was a she. She was a populist anti-Tsarist from a very radical family whose positions toward the royal family and class hierarchy had always been very negative. In 1902, Rosie joined up with the Bolsheviks as they aimed to topple the imperial regime. She would fight alongside her radical brethren in the Russian Revolution of 1905, but as constitutional agreements with the Tsarist eased revolutionary tensions, the radical Rosie found herself joining Bolsheviks like Lenin and even Stalin in exile in 1909. Returning to Russia in 1914, she worked with the Bolsheviks to overthrow the Tsar in the Revolution of 1917 and the Russian Civil War that followed, playing essential roles in holding Moscow and rallying field troops with her, quote, electrifying rhetoric, but it was really during her command of Crimea that the true horror of her story unfolded. See, during this period of mass repression under the Bolshevik rule known as the Red Terror, Rosie found herself in Crimea one of the largest remaining royalist or white outpost in Red Russia's way. In her time in Crimea, she would execute tens of thousands of political agitators and dissenters that resisted Red rule. Estimations of the death toll in Crimea during Rosie's Red Reign of Terror, say that five times fast, vary from 50 to 120,000 on more of a recorded scale. Who knows how many people she actually killed? Repression and brutality in Crimea was said to be unmatched in other regions. However, her most defining feature was not not how many she killed, but quite possibly the way she killed them. Now Rosie, to her credit, was a pragmatist, and had the foresight to understand the importance of preserving ammo, especially as Bolshevik arms and bullets were always limited in the Russian Civil War. For all we know, her cost-effective conservation may have helped secure Bolshevik interest and victory in the Civil War. So what was her grand solution? Well, she went about tying large rocks to tens of thousands of dissenters' legs and dropping them into the Black Sea. On a clear day with calm waters, it was said that one could see countless rows of bodies floating back and forth with the current. Her actions in Crimea not only led her to glory and fame in the communist government, but she also was the first woman to receive the Order of the Red Banner, which was the USSR's highest award. But her actions also got her the title the Demon of the Red Terror. And as much as I hate to quote him of all people, what a nasty woman. Like a miniature version of that Dick Stalin, one might say Rosie was a tiny dick. Well, after all that, who would have thought we'd actually be excited to move back to Joseph Stalin? 
If there is one quote that illustrates the Stalin of the Second World War to me, it is this one. It is time to finish retreating, not one step back. Such should be our main slogan. Henceforth, the solid law of discipline for each commander, Red Army soldier and commissar, should be the requirement, not a single step back. Yeah, so he's basically ordering his men to kill any Russian that tries to retreat. During the war, he would label any prisoners of war as traitors to the Russian state, have snipers kill starving Russian children that helped Germans in return for food, and even let his own son, when he was captured by the Germans, be executed. But let's jump back for a moment. In 1941, after a very superficial peace with the German dictator asshole, I'm sorry, I mean Adolf Hitler, came to an unsurprising end, Stalin and the USSR seemed to be on the verge of total defeat. Within a month of the commencement of Operation Barbarossa, the Nazis had besieged Leningrad, or St. Petersburg today, achieved a slew of victories in Eastern Europe and Western Russia, and had Moscow in their sights. Essentially, all of Stalin's hard work to industrialize Russia in the 1930s went to shit, and he was forced to essentially start all over. But Stalin was able to maintain a front against the Nazis for years, with little to no help from Europeans who were also fighting Hitler, and worked desperately to keep the USSR alive. Let's look at how he did that. Now, I want to get a couple things out of the way. First, basically the cold stopped or slowed Hitler's advance enough to give Stalin the one thing he needed, time. A few key victories along the way sure helped, too. The second is this. I am about to paint Stalin as a heroic leader of the Allies in World War II, and it is true that Russia was essential to Allied victory in the Second World War. His tactics were ruthless, his ambitions corrupt, and his power unmatched. He was, in short, an ass. But this ass won us World War II. In 1941, the Soviets called upon a broken Stalin to lead the USSR in its war against Hitler. Stalin actually believed that his government had come to abandon and overthrow him for his failures in the early stages of Operation Barbarossa, but they claimed there was no other worthy of leading the USSR. Stalin reorganized his military machine, the Russian people, and his policies to completely turn the tide of war. The Nazis were held back at Moscow and utterly defeated at Stalingrad, the turning point of the Russian front of the war in 1942. After Stalingrad, the re-industrialized USSR rapidly pushed the Nazis out of Russia. They invaded or liberated Eastern Europe, liberated the first Nazi concentration camps, and marched swiftly towards the German capital of Berlin. The fabled D-Day landing was truly heroic, and it did lead to the liberation of France, Belgium, and other countries. I'm not trying to belittle that piece of Western history here, but it often gets too much credit in those Western histories, likely due to the Cold War tensions that still persist to this present day. Stalin, and more so the Russian people, 20 million of which gave their lives to stop the spread of Nazi tyranny, are primarily responsible for Allied success in Europe. That towers over the number of British and American lives lost in the war. Uncle Joe, as American President FDR called him, had emerged from the war more powerful and popular than ever. He was even named Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1939 and again in 1942. Stalin remains a hero in the eyes of many Russians today. Called mighty, heroic, and strong, millions have come to glorify their 20th century patriarch as he would have wanted to be remembered. He is a symbol of Russian nationalism, but most can't ignore, nor should they forget, the sobering realities of his tyranny, that he was a racist, authoritarian killer that committed a horrific genocide against his own people, people who still resent him today. But we're not quite done with Uncle Joe just yet. 
After the Second World War, Stalin emerged as the only member of the Big Three still in power, and his power was more absolute than ever before. Stalin began asserting his dominance over what became known as the Eastern Bloc, a set of satellite states that were subservient to and acted as sort of a buffer for the Soviet Union. Churchill was temporarily out of power, and Truman, well sure, he had the bomb, but he couldn't really use it after 1949 when Stalin's Russia successfully detonated their own atomic weapons. American President Harry Truman detested communism and he worked right alongside Joseph Stalin to feed the flames of Cold War, setting the stage for nearly 50 years of competition, confusion, chaos, and conflict. Throughout the early years of the Cold War, Stalin quietly combated his capitalist enemies of Western Europe and the United States of America, successfully spreading communism to various places around the globe. From Poland and Hungary to North Korea, Stalin spread the red flag of communism beyond Russia's borders. He would, however, fail to counter the United States under President Harry Truman as he was stopped from extending his influence into Turkey and Greece, and he would find his Berlin policies constantly undermined by the Western powers as well. This most famously played out in the Berlin blockade, in which Stalin tried to shut down Western access to the city of Berlin, trapping the people there and forcing them to switch to his side, communism. Which was countered by nothing short of an amazing feat, a non-stop US-British airlift known as the Berlin Airlift. Stalin's attempt to keep all of Berlin for himself was ultimately a failure, but Stalin soon found a kindred spirit just to the south of Russia under Mao Zedong's leadership as the Red Star descended over China. The fall of China to communism was certainly seen as a success for the communist world, and that meant a success for Stalin. The last few years of Stalin's life were dominated by the creation of atomic weapons, which led to a massive nuclear arms race in the 1950s, but also the Korean War. I won't dive too deep into the details here, however, but the first of several proxy wars of the Cold War ended as most did, in a stalemate. Stalin and Mao successfully maintained a communist foothold in North Korea, but as communism continued to live, its patriarch Joseph Stalin would thankfully not. This human sack of shit finally died as one close to him noted a difficult and terrible death on March 5th, 1953. Now, I always run into the same problem when I teach World War II and really Stalin in general. I spend weeks going over Stalin's rise alongside that of Hitler, Mussolini, Churchill, Tojo, and yes, FDR. I spend even more time talking about his ruthless but successful leadership during World War II, and how he tirelessly pushed the Russians towards near absolute victory. But then that moment hits. A common catchphrase in my classroom is Russia won World War II, and it tends to have the effect of reinforcing the cult of personality that Stalin worked so hard to enforce in his life. I mean, I build this guy up to be a hero, a contrast to his foe Adolf Hitler, who killed millions in the Holocaust, and then we have to have the Santa Claus talk. You see, the Stalin I described to my students, the Stalin that I have maybe described to you, is a lot like Santa. He isn't real. He isn't the champion of the people, the protector of freedoms, the stopper of Nazi tyranny. Well, he did do that. But still, he is nothing more than a myth masterfully created by Stalin himself, and he is a complete and total piece of shit. Now, I hope I haven't painted that picture here. I wasn't trying to tell that story. 
but I wanted to remind you that after all the power plays, successes, and major accomplishments, Stalin was a real asshole. He was probably the most paranoid racist and tyrannical shit of the whole lot. Numbers vary, but some historians say that around 10 to 20 million people died during Stalin's reign of terror. Another 10 million soldiers and 10 to 14 million civilians died during World War II under Stalin's orders. Honestly, most estimations can prove millions of deaths, but then they all point to the same issue. We have no no idea or no way of knowing exactly how many people died under Stalin's reign. Or, I should say, how many Stalin killed. Starvation, purges, murders, the gulags, World War II, that is blood on Stalin's hands and it is immeasurable. But, you know what is measurable? The scale of greatness. Starting with the drink. Today, I am enjoying an ice-cold Stoli Martini, and it is as clean as it can be. I hate dirty martinis. Hell, that's probably because I hate olives. But I love vodka. Rating this simple red commutini, I am basically just rating Stoli's, which isn't bad. There are certainly better tasting vodkas out there, like Kettle One or Sumon, but they aren't Russian, so here we are. And there are definitely shittier Russian vodkas, so Stoli was a nice middle ground. It's Russian, kind of smooth, and fine in a martini. And my martini is actually pretty damn good. With light hints of cherry and an orange garnish, because I garnish everything with an orange, I have basically made a Cosmo by another name, which I am fine with. Anyone who doesn't enjoy Cosmos is talking crazy. Three points for taste. In terms of returnability, well, I won't be buying Stoli's again, but I am a bit of a vodka drinker. If I am willing to spend the money, then I might go Kettle One, but honestly, Sumon Vodka out of France is way cheaper than Stoli and so much better. But I do love this commutini, so in all fairness, I will likely make it again someday in the future when we cover another commie with a better vodka. Three points for returnability. Price. Ugh. Stoli isn't expensive, but it isn't cheap either. Coming in at around $16 to $20, it's not going to break the bank, but there are better, cheaper vodkas, so it pisses me off to pay for this. And again, you shouldn't skimp. If you're spending $20, then spend $30 and get something that's actually good. Two points for price. With 8 out of 18 points, my Stoli Commutini leaves with barely three crowns. A little disappointing, but I promise you this. The Red Menace will return with better vodka and achieve greatness, I have no doubt. And since I make the scale, I'm probably not wrong here. Now onto our great man of the hour. How great can a man that I have repeatedly called a human sack of shit truly be? Well, let's see. In terms of leadership, Stalin used fear, propaganda, and murder to seize and maintain power. But that power was near absolute. He successfully led the USSR for nearly three decades and overcame most obstacles put in his way. And he was a Nazi-killing machine, which, just to be clear, is a damn good thing. He had plenty of setbacks, some failures, and he was an ass. But he did lead with a steel fist and basically win World War II. His post-war policies certainly had a lasting impact on U.S.-Soviet relations, and from his perspective, he did lead the spread of communism and protect it for nearly half the world's population around 1950. So I'm going to give Stalin five points for his leadership abilities. His accomplishments were astounding. He built a strong industrialized Soviet Union, led his country against the Nazis, and established communist states around the world in his image. He built a state that he ruled absolutely, 
which is not something that can be taken lightly. He created what is today the Russian superpower, and it was under Stalin that the first atomic bombs were tested, and it was his forces that conquered Berlin leading to Hitler's suicide. In terms of accomplishment, he accomplished greatness, but only at a terrible cost to his own people. Nonetheless, I have to give him six points for accomplishing almost every goal he set out to do, if we can believe the information. I honestly thought Stalin would be a little more entertaining for me, but he is just so terrible and cruel. I love looking into Stalin in World War II, but I was just overwhelmed with such a behemoth of a great. The deeper I dove into Stalin, the less enamored and entertained I found myself. However, he is a fascinating topic, and one I can't wait to debate and evaluate over the next two Tuesdays. Five points for entertainment, but I hope for you it was a solid six. Stalin sits high with 16 out of 18 points and would be our first great to obtain six crowns. But he was a human sack of shit, which brings us to the piece of shit curve. Stalin's accomplishments and leadership skills were built on fear, murder, and cruelty. He trusted no one and had all his quote-unquote enemies killed or imprisoned in labor camps. He is directly responsible for the death of millions and somewhat indirectly responsible for the death of tens of millions. Hitler always gets credited for the killing of millions that he did in the Holocaust, which is all true. But that number pales in comparison to Stalin and many don't even know he did it. If there is a piece of shit out there bigger than Stalin, then I can't wait to hear about him. I don't think it's Hitler. I know it wasn't Columbus. I mean, he's just an asshole. For that, I am deducting a whopping six points for being a total piece of shit. Woo! With that deduction, Stalin leaves with only 9 out of 18 points and 3 crowns. A truly great and devastating figure in our shared history, but honestly, a really shitty one. Well, that brings our show to a close, or at least almost. Make sure that you join my Facebook group at Drinks with Great Men in History and follow me on Instagram at DGMH underscore History Podcast to see the recording and drinking process unfold. DGMH is now on Twitter at DGMH History. So please go follow us after the episode because right now I'm sitting at a sad one follower. Feel free to email me at DGMHtobacco at gmail.com to share with me any questions you may have or let me know a great man you want me to cover in the future. On a quick side note, Note, if you're looking to start your own podcast, but like me, didn't know where to begin, well, there is no better place to start your journey than with Buzzsprout. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout is that right partner. They work to get your show listed on every major platform, and they provide you with all kinds of quick and helpful support. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their, and hopefully now your, message out to the world. They have made my podcasting adventure easy and fun. Follow the link in the show notes to let Buzzsprout know DGMH sent you and help support the show and this growing drinking hobby of mine. DGMH will return in two weeks with our next great man, Alexander Hamilton. Or should I say Alexander Hamilton? Oh God, that can't be right. Well, I guess we're going to find out if he's as great as the musical makes him out to be. Be sure to tune in for this week's Tuesday with a twist, where Dr. Sherry Valensic returns to discuss the inner workings of this paranoid asshole's mind in a twist of psych. If you enjoy the show and want to support or be part of future episodes, follow the Patreon link in the show notes. There, you can become a patron of the arts by offering your support and patronage to the show. Patreons will receive insider perks and a possible chance to partake in a future episode directly. And be sure to leave us a good, hopefully, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really is a huge help. 
Today we raise a glass to a bona fide human sack of shit. But I won't cheers to the evil man that killed millions, helped to cause a 50 plus year long cold war, and forever shaped the way we live today. He is an ass. But I will raise a glass to the fairy tale that was Uncle Joe. So, what can I say? You did what you had to when you had to, and you always came out on top. Good or bad, you were the hero of World War II, even FDR noted the goal was to keep 20 million Russians in the war, cause we needed you. The world needed someone like you in our darkest days as we faced our darkest enemies. So thanks for being the paranoid piece of shit that you were. Without you, Americans and Europeans may not be as free as we are today. You did whatever you could to shit all over your own people's freedoms and really tried to conquer the world. But in the end, you just died. And to that, I can raise a glass. Cheers! Cheers!